0: So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 8. Let's look at verse 8. Starting verse 8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct, in godliness, looking for And hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Won't that be great, when righteousness dwells? Can you think about that? Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him, in peace, without spot, and blameless. Now, pick it up with me in verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever Amen. Isn't that a beautiful passage of exhortation? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time to open your word, to hear directly from you, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to live as disciples, as light in a dark time when you are so much closer than ever before in returning for us as your church. And Lord, we want to be spotless and blameless in these times and bring as many people as possible with us, into the kingdom. We ask your blessing on this Bible study. We ask you would help me as I teach it, remove me from it, but yet at the same time use me that the Holy Spirit would be the one speaking, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, the intent of biblical prophecy is always a multi-purpose work of pointing us to our real hope and refuge in Christ, who. Jesus is in absolute control, but it's the intent of prophecy to reveal the plan of God as he shares key portions of his plans and purposes with those that are willing to listen and willing to look into the scriptures. Now, a third element here is to renew us and to purify us for the work of ministry that he has designed for us to accomplish personally and collectively as the body of Christ. And lastly, is to prepare us for his coming, which we just read of, and in that coming that we're conformed to his image right up until the day he returns. We see Peter lay out these exhortations here in 2 Peter chapter 3. And in verse 8 and 9, if you go back and read it, I don't have time right now. In verse 8 and 9, he reminds us of the sovereignty, the salvation, and the compassion of the Lord. In verse 10, he reveals to us what will happen to this fallen world. In verse 11 and 13, he speaks to the work of renewing our commitment of living for Christ. God wants us to renew this day by day. And then in verses 14 and then last Verses 17, 18, it's our being made ready for the return of Christ, conform to his grace. Scriptural prophecy, even the heavy stuff, as well as the things happening in the world, they may initially shake us. Ultimately, though, prophecy should not cause fear and worry, especially as we look at things around us. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by, you know it, the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. So the more more we see that God knows the end from the beginning, and the more we see the unfolding events demonstrate the accuracy of prophecy, it settles us, and we can fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, we may start to wonder, is this virus deadly? Are our government leaders, are they looking to gain tighter control of people and even the church? Are our freedoms eroding? Even if all the answers to that are yes, and I'm not saying they all are, I'm saying if they, if they all are yes, it should make us homesick and resolve to live for Christ and to live to meet Christ. Look at the early church in the face of Rome. They became more and more conformed to the image of Jesus. We looked at this verse last week, but it bears repeating again, Romans 21, 28. Now, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. But we have the God-given prophecy and gospel map, if you will. And not only do we need to read it, we need to give it to others that are willing to hear what God has said. But for us, we can grow in peace no matter what the circumstances. Do you believe that? That we can grow in peace no matter what is coming against us or what's happening around us. I love the promise, give given in Revelation 1, three, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Similar language we saw in Luke 21. The promise is given pertaining to the book of Revelation. And I'd agree that there's a special invite to read and understand this closing book of Revelation. But the prophecies in Revelation are connected to all the other biblical prophecies from Jesus and the prophets. And I believe there's a blessing from God when we look to the Scriptures and understand the times and how we're to walk in them. We left off last Wednesday looking at the placement of the church as it stands within those 70 weeks of prophecy given to Daniel related to the nation of Israel. But as we saw, the gap between the 69th week and the 70th week, which is the cross, until the start of the 70th week, which is the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, which is found in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, it frames for us the period or the time period of the church age and the age of grace. So if you've heard those terms, the age of grace, church period, it falls within from the 69th week all the way to that 70th week, two millennia of where the gospel has gone out from Jerusalem, starting with the apostles. Now, let me take a couple minutes right here to say on record, I disagree wholeheartedly with replacement theology, if you've even heard that term, but some of you probably have. More importantly, I believe Scripture disagrees with replacement theology. There are quite a few Christian teachers, gifted, often gracious teachers of the Word that believe that Israel has been permanently replaced by the church and God's divine plan. They cite a verse like Galatians 3.28. It says, neither Jew nor Greek, to claim that Israel's role has been dissolved into the church. That view ignores numerous prophecies of Scripture that deal exclusively with Israel. And as I said last week, Jesus himself made it clear that Israel and Jerusalem was central to end times prophecy. The final 70th week is related to God refining and restoring Israel's role in the millennium reign of Christ, which is that 1,000-year reign that comes after the tribulation where Israel will have a renewed role with the temple and all the things that, that were even in the law. Many of them will be revived, sacrifices, for example. So there's simply no way the nation of israel was permanently replaced by the church paul deals with this as well in romans chapter 9 verse through uh, 9 through 11 in israel's unique role he mentions that the fullness of the gentiles must be completed during this current age of grace and many jews are still coming to christ while it's more gentiles but many jews are still coming to christ as well they're still part of the church But it's clear that in the current work of the church, there's been a suspension of Israel's priestly role. Hence, we have the gap between the 69th and 70th week. We as believers, we've been made kings and, what does the word say? Priests during this time. The Galatians passage, which some would cite, no Jew nor Greek, It deals with hierarchy. In other words, there's no hierarchy in the body of Christ. No one outranks anybody. Jews are not more important than Gentiles. Gentiles aren't more important than Jews. It also says men and women. They're not more important. Even though I'm a pastor, I'm not more important than my wife, who's not a pastor. But I have a role. Uh, All are saved and equally valuable in Christ, and all are baptized into the church. So I don't have any more time to deal with that, but I just wanted to kind of address that because you'll hear it when people talk about prophecy. Well, some, some will say there's no more Israel. No, Israel plays a key role in some of the coming things that are on the prophetic timeline. So as a nation, they're, they're not gone by any means. But getting back to our current uh, status within the prophetic timeline and where we left off, Jesus said that the closer we get to his return... The birth pains of this world would increase in intensity and frequency. Given, and and that's just like in labor, you know, as as a woman goes into labor, the birth pains get stronger and more intense, and they are closer together till the birth is given. And, And this birth is, again, the final work of God the final revelation of Jesus where the world will come to see that he really is king of kings and lord of lords. But again, all of that will come at the end of the seven-year tribulation. But the birth of the end times, the birth of the day of the Lord, if you will, those things, uh, before that, the birth pains will get closer and closer. Uh, Now, given that the end times began with Pentecost, which we're coming up on Pentecost in just a couple of weeks, uh, we are 2,000 years past the starting point, point. 2,000 years past Peter preaching, brothers and sisters, this is the end times. We, uh, when you look at, uh, for example, 1900, the turn of the 20th century until now, compared to the previous 19 centuries, we see a seismic change in speed, information, and worldwide travel. As Daniel notes, if you go back to last week's study... In Daniel chapter 12. And there's also an uptick in global conflict and chaos. Instead of regional, it's global. It's been a series of quantum leaps in technology, and the world has become smaller and smaller and smaller, which also makes the world what? More connected, affected. And what happens in various regions affect, affect everybody. This also ignites a push for global governance, which the Bible says will happen. But the scriptures tell us that the knowledge gains, the global birth pains, and the desire for pleasures and to attain things, to acquire things, to still have greed and I want more and all of that stuff will all happen in parallel. The gains, all the speed increase, it will all happen in parallel. In 1 John 2.16, it describes this worldwide climate. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. Same book, 1 John 4.3. It says, and this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. We know we can't live forever. You know that, right? I know that. We, we can't live forever. I'm 51. I'm way close. I'm getting closer and closer to, Lord, what will be uh, my end date? Only God knows, but we can't live forever. We know that pleasure and things can't really make us happy. Although we try a lot of times. Things can't make us happy. The latest, greatest that you see on the commercial. We know that all over the world, millions are still suffering and hungry and in pain and difficulty. And yet we can kind of put them out of our minds and just focus on us. We know that we're vulnerable to diseases. We can't see them or avoid them and yet we still crave temporal, temporary, passing things, or we think, as a society, the next leader will really make our life utopia or the next technology or a better job or this or this vacation. or all. And we always think that something that is temporal that's passing is going to give us peace and is going to give us contentment. And, uh, yeah, I know cancer hit my neighbor, but it will never hit me. Well, all of that, it's the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist, it's deceptive. It deceives the whole world. It deceives us personally. Now, I'm no longer deceived as a believer, but I can have momentary relapses, and the Lord will say, snap out of it. Don't be deceived. Don't have the falling away that Peter was talking about in 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, you would think, you would think that the first four months, and especially the most recent six and seven weeks, would bring a humbling to us all, would bring a turning to God, a desire for his help, for his grace, and the eternal rather than the fleeting, rather than the temporary. You know, when I was was younger, some of you may remember this, um, We didn't know anything about how much sugar was bad for you. We didn't just drink a Coke. We drank what was called a Big Gulp. They're about this big. And uh, they were huge. And you could even refill them if the person at 7-Eleven was kind enough. They'd let you kind of guzzle some down and put some more ice and drink a ton of it. And uh, you would get a a lot of uh, enjoyment out of that, from a caffeine hit to refreshing to hydrated. But it won't last you forever, even though it was huge. It was temporary. It was temporal. And again, you would think that all the things around us that are happening would be a reminder to us that, hey, this world is fading away. It's not going to last that long. You would think that the global chaos would cause millions to open their Bible. You see on the screen just some of the recent events. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if we're talking about earthquakes or fires or political upheaval or impeachment hearings or coronavirus or the market, uh, unemployment, it goes on and on and on. You would think that the global chaos would cause millions of people to dust off their Bibles if they have one, and those that don't get one. And I know there has been an increase in Bible sales. That's great. But a recent Joshua poll found that 44% of Americans consider the coronavirus a wake-up call from God. 44% of Americans considered a wake-up call. But I would ask you, wasn't 9-11 a wake-up call? Wasn't Hurricane Katrina, the 2008 recession, tornadoes that ripped through the South a few years back, fires, and many more things, what will it take to not think it's a wake-up call but respond as if it's a wake-up call, to actually wake up? It's one thing to get a wake-up call, and you know, I used to travel a lot in business, and I'd, I'd set my alarm. Plus, I'd get a wake-up call. You can get a wake-up call, but the person calling you will not come get you out of bed. You actually still have to wake up. So I believe that I believe what's happening is not the judgment of God. That's coming right now. All of these things are part of a fallen world that should wake us out of our sleep. The same survey found that twenty-nine percent see the pandemic, this uh, coronavirus pandemic, as evidence for the biblical last days. So almost one out of every three people see this as evidence of the last days. But, but let me ask you, is a third of America, I didn't even say half, I'm just saying the third that say uh, in their minds that this is the last days, is a third of America responding as Peter laid out that we just read and turning to and clinging to the grace and the holiness of Jesus Christ. One out of three people you meet, are they running to the Lord? No. Although there's been some online increase in people watching church service, and I'm grateful for that, there's not been this returning, this great awakening. For the most part, there's not yet been a measured turning to the Lord here or around the world. It's something that I'm praying for. It's something I hope you're praying for. But while most are hoping for a return to normal, God is calling for a return to him. Not a return to normal, a return to abnormal. The Bible says that we would be uh, looked at as different than the world. So a return to the Lord is what God is asking, not just a return to status quo. We're not of this world. And we have no real guarantees that America will remain the most prosperous and the most free nation on earth when we reject the very God that has blessed us. I I don't know what the future holds in my lifetime or beyond that, but we're not guaranteed to continually have fields of grain and all the food we could possibly want and all the, uh, the affluency and all of that when we're rejecting the very God that has blessed us. So, again, are we seeing the outpouring of God's wrath and judgment yet? No, but these things should awaken us, and they are the birth pains that Jesus talked about. Now, what we do know, even though we don't know what the next 10 years, five months ahead even look like, what we do know is what the scriptures have foretold in the understanding of the times. I want to take the portion of our remaining time here this evening to assess what we can see right now from both a historical standpoint and in the Scriptures because history is really his story. Uh, Everything that we see is is the Bible unfolding in past Uh, because the Bible, again, is written to the nations. It's written to individuals, but to the nations. So we can look at history, and we can look at it through the lens of Scripture, and we can look at what Scripture says is also coming, and of course, that's why we've called this prophecy perspectives. Of we're also looking to the future, but we have to sometimes look to the past. We're looking at about 2,500 years back, from the 69th, you know, from the prophecy of Daniel all the way to uh, the tribulation period. Now, in the things that I have listed there, uh, you have uh, in Luke 24 and Daniel 12 and Revelation 3. We have. We've already talked about this last week. Uh, as well, the clear signs of apostasy, increases in knowledge, information gains, but we also have global birth pains, all kinds of catastrophes, all kinds of uh, seismic events that have taken place, volcanoes, and all the things that have taken place uh, that uh, we can see on the news all the time that just unsettle us and say, I can't believe uh, another round of tornadoes or wildfires and all the things that have taken place uh, just in the first four months of this year. Now, if we look at the uh, last 2,000 years and really look at the last 120 years on on bullet point number two there, think about the, uh, as we get closer to the end, And you kind of narrow in on the final days of the earth, and only God knows when the final end is. But as we get closer, Jesus said those birth pains, they'll get closer together and closer together. And remember with Daniel's prophecy, when knowledge will increase and speed will increase and information will increase. And so uh, what, you know, remember in the last 120 years, there's been an amazing amount of change in the world that dwarfs the previous 1900 years or so, uh, for example, all the last 120 years, cars were invented, planes were invented, space travel, getting to the moon, World War I, World War II. And again, World War II uh, had a Pacific theater and many nations in Asia were involved. Nations in Africa were The Middle East, Europe, even South America had troops in there. And you saw, you know, 8.5 million Russian soldiers dead, 4 million German soldiers dead. The Holocaust, which killed somewhere between 7, 10, 11 million Jewish people. And all of that gave birth to what? The nation of Israel in 1948. We've had a massive population increase worldwide. Even in American history, it's in the last 120 years, we had two presidents ass- assassinated, McKinley and uh, Kennedy. So most people forget all of this was in the last 120 years, civil rights, all these different things. And I can go on and on from a global perspective. The last 120 years of history has been at a feverish pitch. And you think about the last 20 years, the last 20 years in the tech, Technology and information explosion for a shrinking world. And you can see as technology advances how you can have a one world control, a one world government. Uh, just think about it. I remember in the, uh, I remember maybe it was 99 or 2000, uh, some of you might remember the Palm Pilot. You had this little stylus, and that was a really big deal. Then you had Blackberries, and uh, they called them crackberries, and all these stuff. And, and then you went into smartphones, and, and along comes the iPhone kind of converges a bunch of technologies and iPads and all the, and now wireless is everywhere. I mean, no one even had Facebook 10 or 15 years ago or less than that. I can't remember the exact date, but no one had anything like that, and now these are ubiquitous all over the world. Everywhere you go has Wi-Fi. Now we have 5G and all these things coming, and so uh, data centers now, uh, nobody can find, uh, you know, you know, we used to have the photo albums. You'd look through your pictures. Now it's like, oh, I got them on some cloud store, and I got to rifle through thousands of photos. The world has changed dramatically in just the last 20 years from a technology standpoint. You look at the last 20 years in the United States, in our own history, and in Israel, and the American church, and the American church has become more lukewarm, more cold uh, in the last 15, 20 years. And yes, there's uh, there's... People still coming to Christ and praise God. He's doing a good work in this church and, and many others. But sadly, again, church attendance has gone down. Instead of people gathering more, as we just read in Hebrews uh, recently, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, uh, without a pandemic, people already were only, it was considered normative to, you're a regular attender to come to church two out of every five Sundays. That would have been appalling to the early church where they were gathering together as much as they possibly could not out of duty, but out of a love for Christ and a love for one another. But the love, Jesus said, of many would grow what? Cold. And we see that in the last 20 years. The American church is not not all that effective for the most part. The world just kind of completely ignores. Since 9-11, instead of our nation becoming more godly, we've written laws and uh, we continue to murder thousands of babies and we change the definition of marriage and all these different things. And we just, as a nation have no interest in really turning to the Lord in the last 20 years. And so then we look at the year we're in right now, 2020 so far, with this pandemic, war rhetoric at times, uh, you know, uh, there's the impeachment stuff and, you know, Democrats hate Republicans and Republicans against Democrats. And the whole. Co- Even Lincoln said a nation divided, a house divided can't stand, but he was only quoting from who? Jesus. Jesus made that statement and Abraham Lincoln quoted it. And we have a nation that is incredibly divided. I I love people that I disagree with, but a lot of times they won't love me uh, or you if they disagree with you. Uh, And so we don't even know how to disagree. But bottom line is in our country, uh, we have just so much division. And now you see the impact of this pandemic. Yes, it's been a tragedy with people dying and the impact on health care, but also the loss of jobs and unemployment and the fear and the anxiety and all the things that is uh, gripping people. And that's not even including around the world, the fires and the earthquakes and the locusts that are in Africa. And you just kind of look at just the first uh, four or five months of the year, it's unreal what's taking place. And Jesus says, as it gets closer, all of these things would bubble up and they would become a boiling pot of just one thing after another. And that's what it's like. You watch the news, and you're like, wow, I can't believe that happened, and that one thing after another. And the love of many grow, grows cold, and people get more and more bombastic, and the vitriol, and just read Twitter, and, and you'll see it's like, wow, Lord, you really need to return. And then we have the implications just of this pandemic itself, two months of unprecedented measures. And, and so I don't know exactly where even this current situation fits into uh, prophecy, I think all the things that I've mentioned, whether it be Israel becoming a nation or World War I or World War II or, uh, again, 9-11, all of these things, they pave the way for the next steps that this world ultimately wants to rebuild a Tower of Babel, if you will, in a godless ruling of ourselves. That's what the spirit of Antichrist is, is we will rule ourselves. We have all the answers, we have all the smarts, we have all the technology, we have all the sciences. Even in the pandemic, you don't hear, you don't hear for the most part, any of our politicians saying, let's hear from pastors and the word of God. No, they're like, let's hear from Dr. So and so. And I'm appreciative of doctors, but again, medicine can't solve spiritual needs. And that's why we have to look at what the scriptures say. So let's look at some of the implications of just this current. Uh, pandemic and some of the things that are happening, we have the scope of the global fallout. It's really kind of unprecedented, all the things that have taken place uh, on a global scale, just in in a matter of weeks, everything all over the world. There's a few countries that didn't and a few states that didn't, but for the most part, shutdowns all over the world, and nobody could have foreseen this. It's unprecedented. It was more shut down than than in, in, in many respects than World War II albeit we don't have cities obliterated like Berlin and parts of Poland and things like that. But uh, without any kind of dropping of bombs or anything else, everyone went into their homes and businesses stopped and production stopped and economy stopped. Uh, The scope is unprecedented in world history. And when something's unprecedented, it will have a domino effect on other things, especially when we understand we're near the end of that 2,000 years since Peter said we entered the last days. Uh, We have the role, what, you know, we'll be watching to see what will be taking place now with the role and the reactions and the relations and the impact with China. China is the uh, second largest economy in the world after the United States and uh, the second largest populated after India. Um, And you have, you know, one point whatever billion people there. It's a massive country, uh, but it's ruled by communist regime. And potentially, again, China... Uh, is building up its military, and there's a lot of things that could parallel with Revelation 16. Is China and maybe other nations with them? Uh, will we see a rising of the kings of the east, which the scriptures talk about in Revelation 16? Uh, we don't know, but certainly there's uh, there's certainly things that could uh, relate directly to what's taking place in our lifetime. You know, China has gone from you know years ago a third world country to just a massive player on the world stage. And China certainly has a desire to have a huge role, uh, both militarily, economically, all of these things. But what will be the response of other nations? Uh, Will this cause more, um, again, trade wars and everything else, which can stir real wars, which the Bible says there'll be wars and rumors of war. What starts out as trade wars can become other things down the road. Certainly not what I want, but Jesus said these things are going to happen, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Speaking of that, when you look at these other nations, uh, remember, even though the coronavirus is kind of center stage, as I said last week, Israel will become center stage again. It, just give it time because the scriptures are always right. Uh, it will center back on Israel. Now, when we think about Israel uh, and as it relates to Ezekiel 38, there will be nations from the north coming down against Israel. Um, Gog, the leader, Magog, the alliance in the country, along with Tubal and others, in Persia, Persia being Iran's. And you look at the relationship that Russia, Turkey, and Iran have today, and the fact that Russia has now inhabits both ports and bases down in Syria, very close to Israel, um, Saudi Arabia... Muslim country, uh, but as you probably know, or if you've been watching the news, Saudi Arabia and Iran do not get along. You have Sunni versus Shiite uh, control there, and on top of that, uh, Saudi Arabia recently, even even um, very recently, uh, Iran has been attacking Saudi Arabia with drones, and uh, you've seen kind of the U.S. and England coming to. the side of Saudi Arabia. And of course, Israel themselves has developed a strong relationship with Saudi Arabia. And the Bible refers to Saudi Arabia as Sheba and Dedan. And those countries, and Tarshish, which I believe is England, and the young lions, because England, its symbol is a lion. I believe the young lions are countries like Canada, the United States, and Australia. But all of that You can watch and see the two alliances, the Russia, the Iran, the Turkey, and you have Saudi Arabia with some of the Western nations, oil uh, oil relations, obviously, but also Israel, again, um, their biggest enemy in the obvious sense in the the Middle East has been Iran who says they want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, and Saudi Arabia has been willing to have a relationship, a good political relationship geopolitical relationship with Israel. So you see it right now, the Bible, Ezekiel chapter 38, unfolding. We also have, in this current situation of 2020, we have the global impact of coronavirus. What will this do to everything from medical, medical records, travel, travel restrictions, security, borders, economic impact. All of these things, we have the global, it's not just the United States, the whole world is talking about how we need to have unified standards of addressing all of these things. And so you'll see more and more of the global impact. Israel again, uh, how does Israel manage this crisis? They have uh, coronavirus uh, just like everybody else, and they've had people that have Contracted the virus and they locked their country down. Now, Israel is not a a nation that, for the the vast majority of people in Israel, are not following the Lord. Israel has a a large percentage of atheists, and even though they have the Orthodox community, the Orthodox community rejects Jesus. And uh, as a whole, Israel is a secular nation as of now, and yet God has put them back in the land and they are flourishing um, economically. And agriculturally and socially, Israel uh, has done amazing since 1948. It's just, it's just stunning. We were, we were going to have an Israel night where I was going to show some video, and we still may figure out a way to do it, where I can show you some of the things that are taking place there. But Israel is ma- managing the crisis. Uh, they're a self, um, they, they, they really are a self-sustaining nation with uh, multiple microclimates, Israel is able to sustain themselves. And now with their big natural gas reserves from Leviathan, which is in the Mediterranean, they don't even need uh, really kind of energy support from the rest of the world. Uh, but the only thing they really need to import in Israel, it's kind of funny, and I don't know how much they have in reserves, is chocolate or cocoa and coffee. Uh, so those two things, you actually, I know that some of you don't think you can live without those things, but you actually can live without chocolate and coffee. The rest, Israel can manufacture and produce in its own land, provided God sends rain, and he continues to do so. But the, uh, the thing to watch with Israel is how do they manage this crisis? Um, Israel themselves will someday be deceived by the Antichrist. And I even just saw recently Benjamin Netanyahu uh, suggesting some technologies that would track uh, the young people in their own country. And uh, so interesting to watch Israel and, and how they interact with the rest of the world uh, we also have, so with the coronavirus, uh, lockdowns and um, military help. Uh, we have smartphone monitoring, intelligence, all these things in some countries are being done, like South Korea, like Israel, uh, being discussed uh, in our own country and may be already being done in our own country, whether we're aware of it or not, who knows, Uh, but again, as I'm talking about monitoring, surveillance, we have the NSA and all these other things, but uh, you'll see an increase in people saying, well, we have to do this, we have to do this, we have to be able to monitor everyone's movement, we have to know who's infected and this and that and the other, and and so there'll be an increase and global acceptance of, well, these things are just normative and, you know, I, I mean... We all now really realize that our smartphones, uh, all of our information's in the cloud and all that stuff, and it can all be uh, uncovered and recovered rather easily. But we'll see uh, how, will be, how will the impact of these things be. Um, it didn't take much to lock down the whole world, and we see, again, all these other pieces of the puzzle. Then we have uh, what takes place in coming months or coming years. Is there within nations, again, Whether it's China, whether it's uh, some of the other countries that uh, handle things differently, Uh, we already have uh, instability with Iran and Russia and, you know, again, what's happening in the Middle East, and it's always a powder keg there anyway, but new animosities. Uh, Jesus says nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. It also means ethness against ethnos, ethnos against ethnos, but more distrust, more anger. You know, maybe... Europe starts to look out for themselves, or South America looks out for themselves, and you have trade wars and shadow wars. And and again, I have some scriptural references uh, to each of these. Uh, So all of these things we can watch and see taking place. We have a potential weakening. I think we'd all agree that the U.S. economy has already been weakened. The question is, uh, will it bounce back, and do we have another 30 years, 40 years, uh, five years, 10 years of prosperity like we've seen before? Or do we actually take a drop and, in some respects, stay weaker economically for a sustained amount of time or perhaps uh, beyond that? I know the United States, again, I mentioned Tarshish and the Young Lions, which I, I personally believe, again, is England and the, the Commonwealth nations or the nations that were born from, uh, from England and the British Empire. Um, but, again, England's kind of the lead there. Uh, United States, in and of itself, it's hard to find as a nation, even though we've played this massive role in the world in the last hundred years. Um, to whom much is given, much is required, and God has blessed us beyond any nation on the earth. And, in, and instead, remember, one of the reasons why Israel was judged as a nation uh, was child sacrifice. And you look at our continual just uh, worship at the altar of abortion, for example, and you can see that uh, you know God could easily say. You know, I'm not going to, my blessing is not on this land anymore. He still could bring a, a revival and many souls saved, but we don't know if our economy is going to, uh, is going to rebound. Uh, we're taking out trillions in debt, uh, the stimulus package, all of these things. And certainly there are nations around the world, I know this is hard for some Americans to believe, they kind of, I don't know how they think this way, considering how at odds our own people are. But there's nations on earth that would love to see us collapse, that would love to see us economically destroyed. And that's not even counting other things that could happen outside of the coronavirus if there was a famine, if there was a major earthquake on the West Coast, if there was some sort of cyber attack. All of these things could further weaken our economy. So we just don't know. Now, again, as a believer, we don't need to live in fear of this, but these are things that we can see that Jesus said, don't be surprised at these things. We have uh, government-provided Security and safety net, and dependence measures, and this will get uh, this will happen more and more. And when you when you're more dependent on the government, you have that much more control by the government. That dependency, and so I mean that's that's the norm. And communist nations, and again descending down to socialism and things like small businesses, big business, individuals. Then we have cashless acceleration. Now, this has been happening for quite some time, but it's accelerated with things like, well, we don't really want to use cash because what if there's virus on it? What if there's bacteria? Boy, we, boy wouldn't it be nice if we wouldn't even have to even exchange anything and we just scan everything and just, you know, here, just scan my smartphone, which every, you know, a lot of people do. You go to uh, higher tech cities and almost everybody in line just kind of puts their phone there and, and I use it too when I'm getting a coffee or th- things like that. But Uh, Other cashless things are in the works, and all these smartphone apps and cryptocurrency, uh, very likely blockchain-type things will become more and more the norm. And so that's something that, uh, as we watch and see, will be a push. And then lastly, we have the increased push for global governance, and uh, we had the former head of the International Monetary Fund and uh, Henry Kissinger and others that have uh, really been uh, saying, look, now is the time that we really should come together and have global governance. And and really, even if it's a temporary thing or if it's a kind of a modified approach, but a one-world government would really kind of help us be, you know, recession-proof and handling diseases and things like that. And so, uh, we become more and more right for someone to propose and say, hey, I can galvanize all the nations and we can work, Uh, again, this Tower of Babel. uh, We have all the solutions. We have the technology. We have the military. Why don't we pool all of our resources and uh, we'll defeat anything that comes our way, whether it's a virus, whether it's a uh, natural disaster, what have you. So there'll be an increased push, and many people will be glad to say, hey, yeah, let's do it because uh, if that'll make my life better and uh, I don't have any more you know, I don't have to worry about certain problems and there's a safety net. Uh, I'm all for it. So many people will gladly go that direction. But if you know the Lord, all of this stuff, uh, again, Jesus says you can watch these signs. Daniel writes of it. Ezekiel writes of it. Of course, John writes of it in the book of Revelation. And all of these things, you know, they could cause, if you didn't know the outcome of everything to come, it could cause just constant fear. But instead, the more I look at what the Bible says and the more I look at what's going around me, I just know we're that much closer to being with our Lord and Savior. And so I want to close with the hope of looking up. And, and as we read in 2 Peter, it should do a purifying work because Jesus... Uh, he's told the church, we're not reserved for wrath. The church is not reserved for wrath. Uh, I believe we're getting closer and closer and all the signs we see around us that Jesus is going to catch us away. Uh, he's, uh, he's going to rapture us out, uh, Harpazo, out of, uh, out of this earth, and we will be caught up with him. Uh, our job is to keep our eyes fixed on him, and to remain faithful, like the faithful churches, specifically Philadelphia. But um, uh, but each of the churches that were faithful, or the remnants within the churches that were faithful, and Philadelphia being the church that that had the most commendation of just uh, really, they didn't have a lot of strength, and they didn't understand everything. I don't understand everything. From a prophecy standpoint, uh, some of what I think I understand, I, I probably have wrong, and when we get to heaven, uh, I, Lord say, you had yeah, this wrong, but you had this right, and you know, uh, but the ultimate thing I know is that Jesus is going to bring his church to himself. And I want to be, as we see, you might see on the screen, I want to be like the wise virgins. My oil is full and my lamp is lit and uh, living for Christ and not living in fear, but the just will live by what? Faith. And that we can look up that joyful expectation that say, man, the world is getting nuttier. Uh, they want a one-world government. They want uh, more things that are just immoral and all of these things. And instead of cursing the darkness, we live as the light and we reach out with love and compassion until Jesus calls us home. That's what the early church did in the face of the Roman Empire. And, that, and even the government of the one-world government to come is called a revived Roman Empire that, again, uh, the circus and entertainment and the affluence but also the brutality of Rome is going to return. But when it all comes to the point of the tribulation, I believe we as the church will be out of here. And that's really good news, that we will not be here for the worst of the worst. Yes, we're going to be part of labor pains. Yeah, we might see persecution like our brothers and sisters see around the world, but when God pours out the seven-year tribulation, I believe personally... That will be gone. If you look at this verse in 1 Thessalonians 4:17, it's such a great verse of hope for us as believers. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. This is our hope that we as a church we're going to meet our brothers and sisters in North Korea and Russia and all throughout Africa and all throughout South America and Central America and the Pacific. And uh, the countries of Asia and the Middle East and Europe and all those that are in Christ will meet Jesus in the air. It'll be so awesome. You'll be standing right there in the clouds with Jesus. And then after that, I believe God will pour out the seven-year tribulation on this world. But I don't believe we're reserved for it. Now some do. And I want to close with um, why I am a why I believe in a pre-tribulation. Rapture in the last few minutes that I have here, I want to give you uh, seven reasons why I believe in a pre tribulation rapture. And again, there's people that don't disagree, there's, there's plenty of people that disagree with this and say, no, no, I believe that we're going to uh, have to go through the whole seven years and, and other, uh, a mid trib position, it's in the middle, or a pre wrath position, which is near the middle. And um, again, some that believe that there's no rapture at all. Uh, I believe the scriptures are clear, if you just uh, saw, as we saw in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, to meet him in the clouds. And let me go through these just briefly, and then we'll come to a close. But why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Number one, uh, the rapture and the second coming are two different events. They're described as two different events in the Bible. The rapture, we meet Jesus in the clouds, the second coming, Jesus comes to the earth. His foot actually touches the Mount of Olives, and it splits in two. That's not what takes place in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. We meet him in the clouds, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. And so uh, we're caught up with him. They're, two, they're described as two different events. Uh, number two, we have the imminent return of Christ. In other words, we have the warning that Jesus could return at any moment. Any moment is not the middle of the tribulation or the 3.5 mark, or the pre-wrath. Those are not any moment. Those are, we know the general moment. You know, I I have talked to people that that hold those positions, and they will say, well, we're not saying the exact second. We just kind of know the the time frame right there. Well, the eminent return of Christ is far more um, caught off guard because the Bible tells us that he'll catch us like a thief in the night. You'll have no Expectation of when it comes. Whereas if it was mid tribulation or pre wrath, you would have a very good expectation. You would be able to start to mark it from the time the Antichrist signs a treaty according to the 70th week with Israel. And so at the three and a half year mark, you would already know where you sit. But the imminent return of Christ is at any moment, any time of the day, 24 7, Jesus could return. He could have returned a thousand years ago or he could return tomorrow. Number three. The tribulation is Israel's 70th week redemption and its global judgment on the earth. So it's, a, it's God doing the 70th week work that he promised to do in Israel and simultaneously its judgment on a world that has rejected Christ. It is not judgment on the church. And that's why in the tribulation period, for example... You'll have uh, the raising up of the 144,000 virgins, which are 144,000 Jewish evangelists, where Israel takes, takes the mantle, if you will, of the church that is now mo- mostly, not all, but mostly percentage wise, Gentile. And the, it'll be a flip, if you will, that the eyes of many in uh, the Jewish world and in Israel as a nation will be opened. And God will use from the from the Holy Land, sending people out. But that is where He's going to do that work of redemption for Israel as a nation. I'm not talking about individual souls, but as a nation. Number four, the picture, Testament scenes described by who? Jesus. Jesus is the one that mentions Lot and Noah. Jesus mentions Lot and Noah. And he's specific what he says, and you can go read it in the Olivet Discourse yourself, in Luke 24, for example. Noah is taken up and out. He goes into the door of the boat, and he's taken up and out. So he goes up into the door and taken up above the floods. He's taken up and out. Lot is taken out of the city. And in both cases, once Noah is secure in his family, which is like a picture of the little church, and even the pitch on the boat is a picture of the blood of Christ, Once Noah is secure, once Lot is secure, then fire falls on Sodom, then the floods fall on the earth, but not until the picture, the typology. And Jesus himself says, just as Noah and Lot, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. So in other words, the church will be pulled out before the judgment is poured out. Number five, uh, some people that take a pre-wrath position that, well, the church will will be in most of the first half of the tribulation until the wrath of God is poured out. And and the verse they're citing there is Revelation 14.10. But I take issue with that uh, rather simply because God's wrath is poured out on the entire seven-year tribulation, not just starting at Revelation 14.10. The Lamb, you can read... Revelation chapter 6, the lamb himself, who is the lamb? Jesus. The lamb opens the seals, which start the seal judgments. Not Satan opening the seals, not some antichrist opening the seals. The lamb opens the seals. So Jesus initiates the judgment that starts with the seals. Then you have the bowls, and then you have the trumpets. But uh, it is Jesus um, who initiates the, uh, sorry, it's Jesus who initiates the uh, wrath And he's even referred to in Revelation 6, verse 16, as the wrath of the Lamb. The people cry out, this is the wrath of the Lamb. Brother and sister, if you're in the church, you have never experienced the wrath of the Lamb. You've only experienced the blood of the Lamb, the forgiveness of the Lamb. He's our Passover Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb is not reserved for the church, and so... The wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb are synonyms. They're not two separate things. Uh, Jesus is the one that's judging the world in righteousness. He said he would judge the world in righteousness. The wrath of God is coming from God, the Father, through the Son, and we know that his name in the sixth chapter is the Lamb there. Uh, number six uh, in this list, the parallel timing of the rapture also parallels in the Second Thessalonians with the removal of what Paul calls the restrainer, and I believe the restrainer is the work of the Spirit through the church. Now, the Holy Spirit will not leave the earth during the tribulation, but the work of the Spirit through the church, the church that was founded by the apostles. Um, Will there still be people saved? Yes, but again, the 144,000 are launched from the tribes. There's a new dispensation of what God is doing, the age of grace and the age... There's not... Uh, The age of grace has passed because judgment has been poured out for seven years. So the age of grace, or the church age, has come to an end at that point, at least in that timeline. And the restraining is the salt and the light of the church. Can you imagine our own country with no Christians? Think about it. There'd be nothing to restrain anything. Um, You know, I know that Christians are looked down upon and castigated in the media, and made fun of, and we're square, and we believe our Bible, and all that. But the reality is, uh, even even the lesser impact than some of the really bad models, uh, perhaps the prayers of the church have really been coming through. And and you and I, we pray even for our enemies. And uh, you can think about how much good came to our nation when people were actually following the Lord. Uh, even the uh, abolition of slavery. Uh, which was a horrible sin in our nation's history, was mostly Christians who truly said this can't... Uh, it wasn't all Christians, but many Christians were were adamant, we cannot enslave people because of the color of their skin. And so on and on. Now you say, well, yeah, but wasn't there Christians that were actually doing that? Well, many of them aren't even Christians. They were just uh, name only. So again, people that name the name of Christ, Jesus already warned about, that's apostasy. But all throughout history... The body of Christ is a salt and a light and a preservative. And for the most part, people that follow Jesus uh, are going to be a blessing. They build hospitals, you know, Baptist hospital, this hospital. And beyond all that, if you're really following Christ, you'll love your neighbor. You're a help. But if you take away all the people that believe and love your neighbor because God commands it, and now it's just, well, whatever I feel like or I don't believe there is a God, you have, a lot of, uh, you have a lot of issues, and so you can see where the world can go quickly, really downhill fast from a moral standpoint, brutality with no church in the world. And then finally, number seven, uh, a lot of people will say that the pre-tribulation view is really new, and they'll mention uh, um, Darby in the uh, 1800s or uh, things like that, and, uh, but it's not. It's not a new concept. The church fathers, such as Barnabas, Papias, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Cyprian, uh, others, they believed in and wrote in the what? Imminent, any moment, Jesus could return any moment. And they were in the first century, second century, third century. They believed Jesus could return at any moment. Do you believe Jesus could return at any moment? Well, if you're ready for his return, that's really good news. And you say, Lord, You'll catch me away, and I'll be standing in the clouds with my brothers and sisters, and I will not go through the worst of the worst. But even in the labor pains, even in the end times events, it still is going to be hard. There still could be persecution. There still could be Satan hounding the church, as he already is in most of the world. And so we're not going to be spared from troubles. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, not the tribulation, but tough times, difficult times, someone getting cancer, someone dying, uh, someone, uh, again, passing away in some other way, but we're not spared from difficulty, but we will be spared of the wrath of the Lamb, which Jesus opened the seals, and the wrath of God, and so our hope is that whatever you see going on around us, as we said earlier, look up, your redemption draws near, closer, get excited, Say, Lord, I, help me to live out what Peter, Peter exhorted that, that I would live in such a way that I'm, pure, I'm purified to be a light and to be a witness. And when Jesus comes, that he will find us doing the things that he did in his walk on this earth, that we're following Him in his footsteps, ready to meet him in the air. That should give us the motivation, but also the joyful expectation that we know who's on the winning side, and we've come to know him as our Lord and Savior. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again that uh, you sent your son. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And Lord, he's seated at the right hand, and he's soon coming to take his church. And I pray that we would keep our eyes fixed upon you, the author and finisher of our faith. And Lord, that we would grow in faith and in joy and in peace. No matter what happens around us, we would be growing in your grace. We would become more loving, even to our enemies. Lord, we'd reach out with cups of water, spiritual and literal, uh, Lord, that you would use us in this day and age to bring peace to people who are afraid are lost and not ready for eternity. We thank you for this time and prophecy. Lord, may you continue to teach us. In your name we pray. Amen.